Lord willing, we're going to wrap up our study in the book of Daniel today. We're going to take a wide sweep and get the last couple chapters. So with that being said, um, chapter 10, 11, and 12, the last three chapters of that book are really one narrative. One narrative. What happened was is Daniel is going to pray once again. And uh, let's get the timing of this. Last week we did chapter 9. He prayed that he would have wisdom and knowledge. Chapter 10 events is probably about five years later, which means a lot of the Jews have already started heading home to Jerusalem. And he, once again he prays and he said, Lord, what would you have me to, to hear? And then basically in chapter 10, 11, and 12, what happens is, is God gives them the storyboard Till the time of Christ. And that's what it is. There's a lot of detail in here, and I, I'm not going to go into that today. If, if you want the notes, I can give you all the notes, and we can line up all the wars and all that stuff. But I want to spend some time on something else, okay? In chapter 12, there's a narrative. And I've got a lot of people I love and respect that say that's talking about the eternal judgment. And I've got a lot of people I love and respect, and that's talking about the end of the Jewish world. And you're going to say, okay, Brother Dolph, which one are you? And I'm going to say yes. And I'm not a chicken, okay? My plan today is to show you that when God talks about something in an earthly sense, nine times out of ten, it lines up perfectly with a spiritual principle he's demonstrating to us. And I'll give you plenty of examples of that. And sometimes when he presents something that's spiritual, his literal world lines up and it fits like a hand in a glove. So when we get to chapter 12, there are some verses like 1 and 2 that I'll read that and I go, that sounds eternal. And then I'll get to chapter 12 and I'll look at verse 7 and I say, that sure sounds like earthly. And it's no surprise that they fit like this because that's the way God works. And I'll, again, I'll give you plenty of principles in that particular case. Okay? So with that being said, let's take a great big broad swatch and let's look at the narrative of this, these three chapters. And I'm going to just kind of just give you the highlights. In chapter 10, 1 through 9, Daniel prayed and fasted for further understanding. And his answer came three weeks later. Remember in chapter 9, when he prayed, it said, whiles I was speaking, his answer came? Well, this answer came three weeks later. Okay, Can't put God in a box. Sometimes you say, Lord, what should I have you to do? And he tells you right off the bat, I sure like it when he does it that way because I'm impatient. But sometimes he makes me wait a little bit of time. Well, this is the way it was for Daniel here. Okay, So that's 1 through 9. And when you read that, that's what it comes out. So then the Gabriel comes to Daniel and he comforts him. Now he's, he's, he's worried, he's, 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 he's got Jews coming back, he's still there, and, and he's saying, I want to be a good leader, I want to be a good mentor, I want to be a good spiritual teacher, what would you have me to do? And, and the angel comes and he comforts him. That's basically in chapter 10, 10 through 17. And then in... Um, well, also what he tells him in 10 through 17, he says, by the way, Daniel, the reason why I took three weeks is I was fighting some spiritual battles. And that's simply for us to know that behind the scenes there are spiritual battles that we don't even recognize. Okay? 
I'm going to know that. Then we get to chapter 10, 18 through 21. Then the angel strengthens and encourages and comforts and informs Daniel that Michael, the archangel, would bring the following things to pass. And he's going to lay out things that are going to happen over the next 500 years. That, that should just make your mouth drop, okay? He's going to tell you kingdoms and, and, and all these wars that are going to happen, and he's going to lay it out. And lo and behold, we look at the historians, and the historians pretty much agree till we get to chapter 11, verse 36. Okay, then there's a little bit of departure. The atheists read that, and they said, no way was that written five years beforehand. Okay, it's so accurate. Okay, with that being said, chapter 11, 1 through 4, it describes the end of the Persian Empire. Remember, when Daniel's there, it's the beginning of the Persian Empire, and he's already describing the end of it. And he's talking about the beginning of the Greek Empire, and that Alexander the Great would come, and he would avenge Athens, and the kingdom would be divided among four generals after his passing, and it all came to pass. In 11.5 through 9, he describes the... Uh, the, 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 the wars between the northern and the southern divisions. I've got to explain this to you. That's pretty interesting here. There was a, 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 a kingdom, and it was Macedonia and Mesopotamia, and they were kind of the north of Israel. And down below, there was another kingdom down in Egypt, and they fought for about 100 years. And guess what was right between those two empires? Israel. And every time they had a battle, guess who got trampled? Israel. I mean, think of teenage, two teenage boys getting in a fight in the aisle of a china shop, right? Right? What's going to happen to all the stuff, on the crystals on the side, right? Right? Couple over break. Well, that was Israel. They were the crystals on the side in the shelves. Got it? So, and, and it describes that in great detail in chapter 11, 5 through 20. And basically he's saying, Israel, you're going to be the crystals on the shelves of the china shop where the teenage boys are fighting. Okay. Then we get to chapter 11, 21 through 32, and it describes the end of the Greek rule. Wait a second. This is the beginning of the Persian rule, the end of the Persian rule, the beginning of the Greek rule, the end of the Greek rule, and Daniel's getting this all lined out 500 years before it happens. Just amazing. Okay. And he's talking about it, and he's talking about Antiochus, who, who's going to obtain the office. He's going to take the spoils, the richest performances. He's going to, and as he does this, he does great atrocities against God and God's people. And that's all described in 21 through 32. And then 32 through 35, it describes the Maccabees leaders. Those are the, uh, um, the uh, pseudo leaders of, of Israel during that particular time. Okay, and that's all described there. Then we get to 1136, and this is the first time where Christians start departing. Some people start injecting some latter time things with thousand year reigns and all that kind of stuff. And some people take it literally, and he says, no, he's still talking about uh, physical earth. Okay, and that's where some people start departing. And I'm just being honest with you, that's where they're at. Okay, and I have opinion, but that's not my lesson today. My lesson is God operates in a way that should give us great comfort, whether it be in an earthly realm or it be in a spiritual realm. That's my lesson for today. And then we get to chapter 12. And the verse, couple verses, and we're going to read chapter 12. It describes the beginning of the New Testament church. And it says many Jews will kill Christians and Rome would kill many Jews. 
and preachers would convert saints. That's basically the description in chapter 12, 1 through 4. And then finally, the chapter is going to end up with a parallel exists between uh, deliverance of Jerusalem, the people out of Jerusalem, the deliverance out of America. I mean, not out of America, out of the world, the end of the world. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So there's a great big, there's way more details than I would ever want to cover on this, on, on a series of Sunday mornings. And I want to keep on going. All right. This is, this is, this is my intent. We're going to read chapter 12 in a couple minutes. And we're going to read some verses, and it's going to read like the end of the world. When Jesus comes back, and the, the, the elect of children of God are scooped up and taken into glory, and there's going to be a judgment. But that also happened at the end of the Jewish world, when Rome came, and some obedient Christians were scooped up, and the rest were destroyed. And you're thinking, well, which is chapter 11, 12? I said, both. I think the principle is taught. And this is why I say the principle is taught. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some lessons here. The first one, here's some spiritual principles. And these are so exciting. In Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. Amen? When he said, let there be light, he did not say, let there be the sun that can shine the light. That was later. He did not say, let the moon, let the stars, let a matchstick, let a flashlight, let a light bulb, that the light could come. He said, let there be light. Do you understand? He created a sourceless light. Amen? You're thinking, what's the big deal? I knew that. We go to the spiritual principle in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. And the Bible says that he shined forth the light into your heart. He did not need a preacher. He did not need the reward. He did not need the internet. He did not need an MP player. Did not need a microphone. God is powerful enough where he can shine into your heart and give you what you need. That's the principle that he works Does that excite you, Brandon? I hope it does. Now, conversions are a whole different matter. I'm talking about the regeneration. Okay, that's one. Okay, when God has a spiritual principle, it carries forward. Let's go to a second one. In Genesis 2, 7, he made the first man. What he did is he went on the beach and he made a mud pie. Yes. And he shaped it into a man. And he breathed life into it. And there was a living soul. He did not, the mud pie did not come to him and request life. The mud pie did not say, yes, I accept this life. It was passive. And I go through scripture and I see that same principle time and time again. I go to the New Testament and I go to Mark chapter 5 and there's a dead 12-year-old girl. And he walks up to that 12-year-old and he says, Talithi cumai, I say unto thee, damsel, arise. He spoke life into that dead 12-year-old. That's the way God works. The 12-year-old was dead. It did not come, she did not come to Jesus and say, would you please make me alive? The 12-year-old did not say, no, I reject this gift of life. 
completely passive. That's the way God works. I go to Revelations. I go to Ephesians. When it's talking about the life-giving force of God, that's the way he he regenerates the same way he generates. God operates the same way. And that resurrection day, when Jesus comes back, he's going to speak our names. And we're going to come forth. The dead will come forth. That's the way he operates. So when I look at it, and we go to chapter 12, and that's destruction, that's judgment, that's deliverance, that's salvation. Is that earthly, or is, is that 70 AD and the end of the Jewish church? Or is that the end of the world? And I say, yes. Because that's the way God operates. He has a remnant. He delivers the remnants out of something that's going to get destroyed. Let's go to another one. Exodus chapter 12, the Passover. The Passover is a literal picture of something spiritual. Do you remember that? There was all the plagues in Egypt. And there was a decree made by Pharaoh. And God said, whatever decree you make, that's the one I'm going to make. So what happened is, is a dad would go take a lamb and kill the lamb and take the blood and put it on the post and the lintel of the door. And all his family in that house would be saved as the angel of death came over and it would look and it would see the blood and it would pass over that house and the one without the blood would be destroyed. That's why we call it the Passover. Don't you know the eternal works the same? The father came and he killed the lamb and he took the lambs and he put it on his house that all the children in his house, when the judgment came, that they would be passed over because of the work of the Father, because of the blood of the Lamb. God works in a way that he's consistent. Now, we've talked about things. We're all converted differently, but we're all regenerated the same. His principles are steady. Let's keep on going. I got five of these. Here's one of my favorites because it's so obscure. This is the offering of the Feast of First Fruits. This is recorded in Leviticus 2, 14, 15, and 16. It's, it's, I love this one. It gives me goosebumps every time I share it with you. But what happened was is when you had a crop, and it didn't matter if it was wheat or corn or barley or figs or grapes, what you were supposed to do is when the first fruits came in, when, that, when they first started getting ripe, you're supposed to take those best fruits and you're supposed to take them and put them in a pistol. You know, it's like a little cup with a mortar and you're supposed to grind it. Amen? And you would grind it and you'd grind the, 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 the wheat or the barley or, or whatever it was. You'd grind it up. And then what would you do after you grinded it? You'd put oil on it and you would per- per- perfume on it, and then you would take it and wave it up to the Lord. You'd give it to the priest, and he would take it and wave it up to the Lord. Don't you know when Jesus came? What did the Roman soldiers do to Jesus? They beat him to a pulp. Amen? You remember the woman that came in with tears, and she poured ointment on his feet, 
and wiped them with her hair. Do you know what scripture says? It said an odor filled the room. He was perfumed. And then a woman came in with an alabaster box and she cracked it open and she poured it on his head and she got oiled. Our Savior was beaten, he was perfumed, and he was oiled. And then he was given to the high priest and Pilate took him up on a cross and he waved him up to the Lord. Don't you understand when God has a principle and it's a spiritual principle concerning our eternal salvation, we see it and he uses that time and time again in our daily lives so maybe someone thick-headed like myself could get it. I need those illustrations. I think I have one more. It's the one we talked about last week. This was in Daniel 9.27. And it said, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, that in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And last week I made this point. It says, the midst of a week. And again, in that particular section, the week was a segment of seven years. Jesus' ministry lasted three and a half years. And after three and a half years, he was offered up and there was never need to make any more sacrifices. But there's a dual nature because I also do believe Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday because he was in the ground three days and three nights and then rose again. And if you want to see all that detail, I'll meet you in the lunchroom with a dry board and I'll be happy to explain all that. But when God operates, he is consistent in the way he operates. So when we get to this chapter 12 and we start reading it, there's some things that are going to look eternal and I go, amen. And there's some things that are going to look practical and I go, amen. And some folks will say, Brother Dolph, which one is it? And I'll say, I don't want to fuss. I want to praise God. Thank you. That's what it is. I've got, there's, there's no surprises. It fits like a hand in a glove for both. That's what I see when I read Daniel chapter 12. So let's read chapter 12, okay? All right. You ready? Um, this is what we're going to get. And, and again, I, I'm not going to go on these details. I tell you what, when I, when I started this and we were starting to go through the book of Daniel and I started hitting around chapter 5, chapter 6, I started getting nervous because I knew 12 was coming, okay? <laughs> but I just got more and more excited the more I saw this. Okay, here's some of the parallels I see between the Old Testament and New Testament and these last couple chapters. Number one, silence is consistent. At the end of the Jewish world, the Old Testament was finished. John and Jesus appeared on the scene 400 years after hearing no prophecy. At the end of the world, the New Testament is finished. Jesus and the angels are going to appear after a couple thousand years of no more prophecy because we get the book that's done. Okay? Suffering. At the end of the Jewish world, the preaching of the gospel would cause great division among the Jews. You go to the Middle East, it's still happening. Amen? Separation. At the end of the Jewish world, the believers fled Jerusalem and the unbelievers stayed. At the end of the earth, the book, those written in the book are going to be carried off, and those not written in the book are going to stay. The sentence, those who stayed were destroyed by Rome. And there's estimates that it was 1.1 million of them. At the end of the earth, the non-elect will be destroyed. And there's going to be a great multitude of those too. Sealed. 
at the end of the Jewish world, the worlds are closed up and sealed until the end of the nation of Israel. Until the end of the world, the worlds are closed up and sealed to the end of planet Earth. And then finally, the sanctuary. At the end of the Jewish world, the stones were disassembled and the building or the temple was rendered obsolete. You know, when Jesus comes back, the local church will be op- local churches will be obsolete. We'll be up there in front of Jesus, worshiping him with the whole congregation of God in a perfect worship, with perfect singing. Yours is pretty close, Brian. <laughs> with perfect singing and perfect understanding in one celebration. Amen? So, let's read chapter 12 now. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time shall Michael stand up. Now that's Michael the archangel. The great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, which is never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time the people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. I can't help but when I go to John chapter 5 and read about 25 to 29 and 30, I said that language sure sounds talking about the end times, doesn't it? Amen? But when I get to the next couple of verses, that's going to sound like, that sounds like the end of the Jewish world. Brother Dolph, let's, let, let's sit down and try to figure out which one it is. No, let's sit down and look at the principle and say, amen, God's got a people, whether it's here on earth or whether it's eternity, that he's going to deliver out of this chaos of this world. And you know what? We all deserve or need or merit the judgment. But thankfully, we have a father that killed a lamb and put the blood on the post and the lintel and the judgment was passed over. That excites me. Okay. Verse 3, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that, ter- and that turn many to righteousness as to the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm talking about the end of the Jewish world, which is in about 70 AD, or I'm talking about 2022. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be full of themselves, and they're going to study themselves. They're going to have a lot of information in here, but they don't have a lick of common sense. That happened back then, and it'll happen today. So which one is it? It's both. Amen? Amen? Verse 5, then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on one side of the bank of the river, the other on the other side bank of the river, and the one said, man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. Okay, let's go to this. 
times, times, time, times and a half. Most people agree that's very figurative language for three and a half years. A time is a year, times is two years, and a half a year is three and a half. Most folks agree on that. And you say, what's going on here in three and a half years? Well, we're going to talk about three and a half years, but when I look at this and I look at the scattering of the power of the people, when I read that, I get, to me, I got a leaning toward, that, that seems like earthly when the people are scattered. Because when people fled from Jerusalem, they got scattered. They, that, that's, that's what my limited brain's thinking. But in the last days, I think that works there too. You got it? Yeah, let's keep on going. Verse 8. And I heard, but I understood not. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall the end of these things and he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time, the, the, the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from time, that time, the daily sacrifice will be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate <coughs> set up. There shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. You're thinking, look at all this. Verse 12. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1,335. What's this 1,290? What's this 1,335? What is all this stuff? Is this eternal? Or is it practical? And I think it fits for both. Now, now this is the one place where I get a little nervous when I go to a historian and I read the historical account and I, I start using interpret. I'm telling you, that's exactly what it was and this is what Josephus wrote. He said, this is what he said. When the time came and Jerusalem was finally overrun, and I think I got the dates right, I'm doing this by memory. I think it was November 17th, 66 AD. The Roman Empire underneath a general name Celestius, I think is his name. He showed up on the northern part of Jerusalem. He had his camp. They started tearing down the northern wall and they were burning the suburbs. And they were at it for about five days. And for some reason, Josephus wrote, for no reason whatsoever, he just picked up his troops and he left. And then he left. And then, 1,290 days later, three and a half years went by, and Titus showed up with a bigger, stronger army and more resolve. And he was ready to tell, tear those renegades back limb from limb. But he did something remarkable. He gave Jerusalem a 45-day clemency. And he said, any Jew that wants to leave, that leaves unarmed, is free to go. And you think, well, what's 1,290 plus 45? 1,335. Daniel wrote all this stuff down 500 years prior, and I'm reading this stuff here, and I'm thinking, Wow. Is this just make-believe? You wouldn't even believe it in a movie. Amen? 
my point is, God had a people, and he was angry with the Dru- because they were disobeying him. They were full of them. He was angry. But what happens is, is he's got some love, and he loved a remnant, and he gave them a way of escape. And the believers left. And the ones that were full of themselves, see what happened was, when Rome came the first time, there were some people that were pretty smart thinking, whoa, that's a close one, we're going to leave. And there's some people said, we're strong, we can whip them Romans. And they stayed. And he tore the city totally apart. And I didn't make this up. Josepha wrote this a long time ago. Daniel wrote the prediction of it 500 years before then. And I'm reading this, that's how it comes to pass. So what do I make from that? You know what I make from it? God has a people and he's going to make a way of deliverance for them. And a judgment will come, but he's going to make a way of deliverance for his people. And it's true of his physical people on a physical earth, and it's true of saints in an eternal realm. So when I read the book of Daniel, that's what I come up with. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over governments. He's sovereign over means. He's sovereign over governors. But he's also a loving God. And he's sovereign over your deliverance. And he's sovereign over your judgment. And he's sovereign over the love he esteems towards you. So, when I come to the New Testament and I start reading the things that happened in the book of Judges, or in the book of Hebrews, and I start reading the things Jesus did in the Gospels, I start looking at it and I just, I just realize <clears throat> I was in this house and I don't know why my dad went and killed the best lamb we had in the flock. And he killed it. And he took the blood and he put it in a bowl and he took that bowl and he put it on the post of linen. Dad, why are you doing that? I gotta hurry, son, I'll tell you later. And then he puts it on there and he says, okay, everybody come in the house. So we're in the house and we're eating some bland bread without any leaven in it. We're having this, Dad, why are we eating this bread? I don't like this bread. Don't worry, son, I'll tell you later. And then we go inside, and then there's a Passover. Amen? Well, that's kind of the way the gospel is for me. 2,000 years ago, he killed the lamb. The lamb's name was Jesus Christ. That's exactly what John the Baptist said. Behold the lamb of God, which take away the sins of the world. And he died. And he took that blood, and he put it on the altar and he sprinkled it around and there's a judgment coming right now <clears throat> I'm in the house and, and, and I might be at different phases in my understanding about what that blood did or why he, he slayed the lamb maybe I'm the young one and I still don't understand why dad did that maybe I'm the older one and now I understand it but there's something we do in the Old Testament Every year they had a Passover meal to remind them so folks could teach their children what God did. 
But we have the same kind of meal. It's called a communion table, and we have that on a regular basis to remind us what God did. Amen? So when I'm looking here and I'm looking at Daniel, I see a deliverance of a literal people out of Judea. And I'm thankful because that was the Christian church, and part of that was the seed that's got this church here. might have gone through a couple Middle Eastern countries and then up through Europe and then through America and down the eastern seaboard and it finally got into Roanoke. But, but I'm glad that happened. I'm glad they escaped. I'm glad I've got that, that shelter. But I'm also glad that in a spiritual sense that I've got that deliverance too. I got both, and I'm thankful for both. So that being said, let's go to the last verse, verse 13. 13. This is the last verse in Daniel. But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest. Rest in what? Well, there's a lot of kind of rest you have. There's a rest you have in death. Amen? That's called rest. You rest, and I don't need to worry about all the craziness of this planet. There's a rest there. But I always, I always love in Bible where when a person dies, they always call it rest. They always, they, they always typically call it sleep. And the reason why is it's temporary. But there's another rest that we enjoy, and I think that's what Daniel has right here. It's the peace in knowing God is going to deliver you. That's the rest that I think he's standing. Da- Daniel right here. Now, does it apply to 70 AD? There's always going to be a people, which is what he was praying for, or do you think it's talking about eternally? And I say, yes. It's both. Both give us rest. Amen? For thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of days. The end of Daniel's days, the end of 70 AD, or the end of days when Jesus shall come? And the answer is yes. Yes, stand in thy lot. And what's your lot today? Your lot today is love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? And to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's your lot. Can you stand in that lot? Can you rest as you stand in that lot? I hope we can. That's the book of Daniel. God bless you.